Good morning, Masters. Uh, pretty fired up to be here this morning with you and uh, be invited back. Uh, as I often say, I didn't get a lot of second dates in high school, so whenever I get a second invitation, it's always a cool thing. And uh, it's great to be back uh, with you and uh, love, love, love uh, Masters College. Uh, such high respect for your uh, vice president, your president. Uh, love your faculty and get the joy of serving uh, alongside a number of your faculty, our elders at our church. And so uh, we are very grateful for the work and the ministry here at Masters, uh, Masters College. I've been asked to share something personal in nature uh, as I approach this. And so I'm going to, if it's okay, uh, do less of a sermon and more bear kind of my heart with you. And um, there's a quote that has always haunted me uh, by A.W. Tozer. And he says this, God will... God will not use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God will not use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Uh, three years ago, um, I was really riding the wave in many ways, not only pastoring a church, but a growing church. I had uh, three um, uh, great uh, kids. I had a uh, smoking hot wife, and uh, life was great, um, and I... Uh, I realized uh, through a journey about three years ago uh, the answer to this question, and let me ask you this question, and that is, uh, do you know what God can do uh, with a prideful man? Uh, the answer is absolutely nothing. And uh, for me, I have to learn most of my lessons with a two-by-four, and the Lord decided to do that with me three years ago. Uh, in the midst of all of the good around me and God's blessing, uh, I began to have a pain in my chest that I had never felt before. I had pounding in my head, and I had pride in my heart. My wife uh, tried to talk me into going to the hospital. I'm a guy. I don't go to hospitals. And uh, finally, the pain got so great that I, I, I finally told her on a Saturday, I, I got to go, go to the emergency. So I went to the emergency, um, checked in. They ran tests, did scans. They came back, and they said, Todd, uh, you, have a, you have what is called pancreatitis, and I said, what's, what's that? They said, that's the inflammation of your pancreas. I said, what's a pancreas? <laughs> uh, well, it's an organ. Do I need it? Um, was the next question, because they take a lot of things out. Well, let's just take that puppy out. And they said, no, no, you, you need it. And actually, what you have is very dangerous. People die from it. This is Saturday. I have my sermon all ready to go on Sunday. Um, my wife had been praying for me. My wife had been praying for me for a number of months that I would slow down. And um, I didn't listen. And so the doctor says, you really need to be checked into the hospital for a few days. I said, no, I got to preach tomorrow. Because I, I had read the verse in the Bible when Jesus says, I will build my church with the help of Todd. <laughs> and uh, I said, I have to preach. He says, I, I, I don't recommend it. My, my wife and a good buddy of mine talked better sense into me. I checked myself into the hospital. Uh, two days later, my numbers spiked in terms of my uh, almaze and lipase. The pain got so intense, they rushed me into a, kind of an emergency scan, a specialized MRCP. As they were wheeling me down and I was in intense pain, I asked, what are you, what are you scanning me for? They said, we're scanning you for pancreatic cancer. The, the English word that we have for worry comes from a German word. It means strangulation. 
At the moment that the doctor said, we're scanning you for pancreatic cancer, I was being strangled. I was being strangled. And that began a, a year-long uh, journey for me, and I'll finish the story at the end this morning. So stay with me, and I'll give you a cookie at the end. But it began a, a year-long journey for me in the study of um, Psalm 23. And so if you would this morning, let me pray and then let's jump in. Father, we pray this morning that as you have taught me, I pray that you would teach all of us again this morning. That there is nothing you can do with a prideful man or a prideful woman, no matter how gifted they are. And so, Father, humble us this morning. For you are the good shepherd. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. If you love Jesus, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, we open up to what is one of the golden psalms. Uh, Spurgeon called uh, Psalms the Holy of Holies. Um, Psalm 23 was penned by King David. Uh, it was written some 3,000 years ago before the Romans invented Pinterest. And it's a um, majestic psalm. It's a psalm that on... September 11th, and for the remaining weeks, we heard read over and over and over again at, fu at funerals and memorials. It's a psalm that became very rich and very personal to this man who, who had a pain in his chest and pride in his heart. And I just want to just walk us through it this morning. It's, 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 it's very personal for me, and so track with me as we, we read along. Psalm 23, verse 1, David starts, The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, stop there for a moment, because this is a massive assertion by King David. He is the most powerful man in the ancient Near East. And he says, I just want all of you to know that I, the most powerful king in the ancient Near East, I have a shepherd. I am following someone. Everybody may be following me, but I want you to know that I follow somebody else. And in verse 1, he says, this person is, is Yahweh, the very personal name of God. And in many ways, he name drops here by saying, Yahweh, the very personal, private, intimate name of God Almighty. He says, that is who my shepherd is. And then for the next five verses, he begins to unpack uh, all of the blessings, all of the beauty of God being his shepherd. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want. And David understood this idea of shepherding. Uh, he understood what a shepherd was because uh, David, as a young teenager, uh, didn't work at Magic Mountain. He, he shepherded in the fields there outside of Israel. And so he understood firsthand uh, what a shepherd was and what sheep were and how sheep acted. And, and David understood that everybody serves somebody and everybody follows somebody. And David says, the person that I follow is Yahweh. He is my shepherd. Everybody in this room is following somebody. We live in a culture today that most people follow somebody on Twitter but David says, I'm not going to track with, with Yahweh on Twitter. I'm, I'm going to be a lover of, of his word. I'm going to be a lover of his nature, his character. I'm going to follow him. And so what he says is, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I, shall, not, I shall not want. Well, what he argues here this morning is, is simply this, is that you've got you to make a choice. 
You can't be a neutral in the Christian life. You have to choose to follow somebody. And at the foot of the cross, the reason we named our church Crossroads is because at the foot of the cross, you have to make a decision. You either accept or you reject. God is either your shepherd or he is not your shepherd. You see, Christianity is much more than just don't doing things. Sometimes we reduce Christianity down to the dirty dozen. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. The reality is, and I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but a, but a cadaver can keep eight of the Ten Commandments. And that's not very impressive. You see, there's a thing called sanctification that we partner with God Almighty and we follow him. It's not a matter of, I just don't do these things, but I'm going to follow right behind how the Lord leads. It was Jesus Christ. Remember when he said, seek ye third the kingdom of God? Is that what Jesus said? No, he said, seek ye what? You, you guys not talking, chapel? <laughs> seek ye what? First. David says, I'm going I'm to seek the Lord first. He's my shepherd. It's the fourth century monk, Augustine, who said, Christ is not valued at all unless he's valued above all. And so David says, he comes right out of the gate, and he says, I just want you to know something. I'm not the shepherd. Yahweh is. I'm just a, I'm just a sheep. And what's so, what's so intriguing about this psalm, and the reason we read it so often, is because we, we frankly, we, just, we get it. We understand it. We know exactly what, it, what it's like to be a sheep following a shepherd. It's so intriguing to us because we, we are just like sheep. Uh, do you know that the, in the Bible, the scripture refers to, to his people, to God's people, as sheep over 200 times? A passage is like Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have churned every one to his own way. The Bible over and over again, over 200 times, refers to you and to me as sheep. Let me, let me do a little sheepology 101 with you. Uh, do you know what the number one characteristic of sheep is? I mean, the single greatest thing that they have that just stands out, everybody knows that this is true about sheep. The number one characteristic is they were just flat out stupid. And yet the Bible refers to you and me over 200 times as, as sheep. Think about it. Have you ever gone to the circus and seen trained sheep? What do, you, what do you call a person who, who, who trains camels or penguins? There's no such thing. They don't need a shepherd. They don't need a leader. But sheep are stupid. And they need a shepherd. They, they, they stampede easily. They're vulnerable to mob psychology. They, they have very little discernment. Uh, you know, think about it. Think of the dumbest thing you did this week. Think of the dumbest thing you did this week. Don't, we're not going to have a share time. Don't worry about it but I'll tell you exactly why you did it. Because at the time that you did it, it made perfect sense to you. And then right after you did it, you went, why did I do that? You know why you did it? Because you're stupid. <laughs> you're, 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 you and I are sheep. And one of, the, one, of the, one of the reasons that God commands the pulpit to preach the word of God is that we lift up the wisdom of the wisdom of God. My job every, every Sunday morning is to get in the pulpit and help people understand the wisdom of the wisdom of God. Why? Because we're stupid. 
And, and here's the deal. When God says, when God says don't do something, he, he's not like an angry grandpa up there that wants to take all the things that are fun and call those sin and all the boring things he takes and he calls those righteousness. No, he's the great shepherd and he says when, you, when he says don't sin, he's simply saying don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the great shepherd. Look at the rest of the verse. He says, not only is the Lord my shepherd, I shall not want. It's the Hebrew word hasar. It's a very broad, beautiful word. It's this idea of various wants. We could talk endlessly about all the wants us sheep have. We want material possessions. We want all kinds of things. I went into Best Buy last week, uh, sat in down in these chairs, and there was this sound system and 3D Blu-ray screen. I asked the guy, how much does this thing cost? He says, the whole thing in your house, 25 grand. So I called my wife and said, we're going to sell the kids. Because <laughs> you know what? I, that's what I wanted. That's, that's what I wanted when I was in Best Buy. But I think David's trying to get to a bigger point besides his material possessions. He's trying to get you to surrender yourself. As I laid on that gurney as they ushered me into that room to check me for pancreatic cancer, God was stripping me of myself. That I had to learn that I am his. And he, I, I am just a sheep. He can do, he's the shepherd. He can do whatever he wants with me. It was Abraham Kuyper who said this, there is not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, this is mine, this belongs to me. And, and, and for me, uh, everything I thought belonged to me. And the good shepherd had to strip me of myself. My first want in life was was, was selfishness, what I want. Me, myself, and I, the blessed trinity. I, I want this, I need this, and, and God stripped me of it. You see, the, a, a good shepherd in, in the ancient Near East, that what they would do instead of branding like, like uh, cattle, what they would do is they would cut the sheep's ears, and that was the brand, that was the brand, that was the stamp that you were that shepherd's owner. And, and let me just say this, the, the Lord on that gurney cut my ear and reminded me there's not one square inch of my life that is mine, I am his. David reminds us, oh, this is a wonderful thing because Jesus Christ, remember, he never said I'm the okay shepherd. He said I am the what? You can stop talking the next chapel, but talk right now. He said I'm, I'm the what shepherd? The good shepherd. And a good shepherd takes good care of his sheep. What does a good shepherd do? He, he gives protection and provision. Sheep are defenseless. I don't know if you know this, but sheep are so defenseless that many times in the ancient Near East, a raven would come down and land on the sheep's face and literally poke their eyes out and the sheep wouldn't even know about it. Wouldn't even respond to it. He's completely defenseless. He has, he, I mean, what is he gonna do? He's just got these kind of square feet. He can't, he can't bat the raven off his face. And so David says, you know what? I shall not want. I, I have no fear of the future. I have no fear of the situation because the good shepherd is mine. God is like a, God is like a, a heavenly father who's a, who's a husband, who's a protector, a provider. He's a shepherd, if you will. 
In many ways, it's, it's the modern day uh, husband. It's what you, you men someday will be that to, to your wives, of that of a, of a good husband, a provider and a protector. That's what our good shepherd is. You know, when they, here's how it works in our house. If, we're, if we, get up, we get in bed at night, and all of a sudden, you know, it's late at night, everything's turned off downstairs, the doors are, are locked, and all of a sudden we, we hear some noises in the kitchen. It sounds like there's somebody broken into our house and is kind of moving around our kitchen. I, I don't sit there and go, hey, Stace, go check that out. No, no, what do I do? I'm, I, I'm to be the good shepherd, the protector, the provider. I go downstairs. Notice verse two, what he does. This good shepherd, he's so good. He, he makes, he leads, he restores. It's a triplet of, of just encouragement here starting in verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. See, stop there for a moment. When I read this verse up until three years ago, when it, when it, when it talked about green pastures, I thought of three things. I thought of money, malls, and Maui. And those were the green pastures. And I realized that for a green pasture in the ancient Near East, it was in the middle of, of, of rough terrain. It wasn't an easy place to get to. And notice what he does is he takes you into a green pasture. And notice what he makes you do. This is awesome. Don't miss this. He makes you lie down. Sheep, sheep are so stupid, they don't even know they're tired. And the shepherd has to tell them, lie down. Sheep have this restless agitation to themselves. In fact, so much so that sometimes the sheep run away and the good shepherd will go and chase that sheep down and literally break its legs so that it won't leave the flock again. As they rolled me into the MRI, I, I felt my leg breaking. I was restless. See, I, I always thought this. I always thought, you know what, Lord, I'm going to I'd rather burn out for you than rust out. And then I realized that neither are helpful to God. He can't use either. Some of you have big dreams, big plans for the Lord, and that's wonderful, but understand this. It's only gonna happen if the good shepherd says so. We fight this, we fight this. Well, man, we don't like the, we don't, we live 24-7. Our alarm clocks on our, on our nightstand, our starter pistols, they go off in the morning and the race begins. And there's something even shameful to be, to, to go slow or to be tired. You know, if someone calls somebody at three in the morning, when we answer the phone, we're embarrassed that we're sleeping. Oh, well, what were you doing? Oh, I was just reading my Bible. Why? Because I'm embarrassed that I'm tired. I learned something that God will pause you if you don't pause. He makes you lie down. We're just like little kids. One of our kids oh, never wanted to go to sleep. Just never, ever wanted to go to sleep. And, 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 and he, would, he would whine and cry and fight. And I'm not tired. I'm not tired. And I mean, just he would have a three-mile island meltdown. I mean, it's just like, who is this kid? I think we're raising the Antichrist. Who is this guy? <laughs> and then mom and dad would put their hand on him and say, son, it's just it's time to go to sleep. It's just time to rest. And within three minutes or so, he's fast asleep. My wife had been praying for me for six months that I would rest. I was so prideful. I said, no. I'm going I'm to make a mark for God. 
And God said to me one day, it's time for you to rest. And he put me on pause. Look at the rest of verse two. He leads me beside still waters. You can't drink from a fire hydrant. Say, so he leads you beside, beside still waters so the sheep can get some clean water. In fact, sheep are so stupid that if they're not led to fresh water, they will drink polluted water. They'll get parasites, they develop a liver, a liver disease, and they die. So the shepherd has to take them to fresh water, put their head in it, and say, drink. We're the same way spiritually. Remember Jeremiah? Weeping prophet, Jeremiah 2, he says, you know what the problem is with you, you, you boys? Is, is, man, you have forsaken the fountain of the living one. You have hewed out uh, cisterns for yourself, and you are drinking polluted water. For some of you in this room, by the reach of my voice, you're drinking, you're drinking polluted water. I, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're doing, but you, you know, and the Lord knows, the good shepherd knows, you're drinking polluted water. And you're going to get a parasite, not of the, of the body, but you're going to get a parasite of the soul. Well, where do I get clean water? I'll tell you exactly where you get clean water. It's the word of God. Let me give you a, let me give you a verse, Todd 3.16. Write this down. Todd 3.16 says this, God's, God's will is God's word. Some of you are trying to figure out God's will for your life. I'll just tell you what it is. It's right here in his word. You say, well, I want to hear God speak. Read the Bible out loud. When you do that, notice verse three. Guess what's restored? He restores my soul as I drink from the, the pure word. When I, when I drink from the fresh fountain, the fresh water, he restores my soul. This idea of restore here is a beautiful word because sheep become what is called cast. Everybody say cast. They become cast. And what that means is they're upside down. They're upside down. They can't flip over. Remember number one quality? They're stupid. They don't know how to flip over. And, and you know what? The only way they're going to get flipped over is if the shepherd does it. That's why he's a good shepherd. He restores their soul. He flips them back over. He turns them from a pathetic sight that's vulnerable, and he puts them on, his, on their four feet. To restore means this. To restore means to reset, to replenish, to re refill, or to restart. <laughs> Uh, you know, we live in such a technology uh, age. I'm, I'm, most people will tell, tell you that I'm tech-tarded, and, and, and I, I, I just, I, I barely get along with, with technology, but I, I have learned there's times in my life where my computer, my phone, my iPad, you just have to do what's called a factory reset. By show of hands this morning, anybody ever do a factory reset? Okay, so you're tech-tarded too, and so here's the deal. Sometimes the Lord, watch this, loved ones. Sometimes the Lord has to do a factory reset on you. Because you've picked up too much, you've picked up too many viruses. How do you do this? How, 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 how is the soul reset? Uh, this, is a long, this could be a long sermon in and of itself, but I will tell you this. David figured it out in Psalm 51. Remember when he prayed, restore the joy of my salvation? He restores my soul. And so what does David do in Psalm 51 after he sins with Bathsheba? He asks for a factory reset. He confesses his sin. He repents of his sin. And he does a factory reset. 
You know, when you, when you confess, the word confess in, in the Greek is homo legeo. Homo meaning same, that legeo means to speak. So when you confess, you speak the same thing. So here's what you do when you confess. You say to the Lord, hey, this isn't just a mistake. This isn't just a midlife crisis. This isn't just an oops. Let me say the same thing, what you say about what I did. Let me just tell you what it is, Lord. It's sin. I acknowledge what it is. It is absolute sin. And some of you this morning, I just encourage you, stop hiding from the Lord because the most exhausting place to be in life is trying to hide from God. And, and, and you need to step back into the presence of God and do a factory reset and do a, you, you, you say the same thing, Lord, what I've been doing is just, is, is just making a hash of my life. And, and man, it's been sin that I've been involved in. I need a factory reset. Restore the joy of my salvation. You see, that's, that, that's, that's David's cry. But yet so often, most of us try to run and hide. We, we're like Adam and Eve. Remember, they sin, right? What's the first thing they do? They go hide. They hide. Why? Because they didn't want to do the factory reset. They didn't want to say the same thing that God would say about it, and that is, I violated, violated your word and your will. So they went and they hid. And remember, when, remember when, when, when God came looking for them? Let me ask you this question. Who sinned first, Adam or Eve? It's not a hard question. Who sinned first, Adam or Eve? Eve did. All the guys say amen. But when God came looking for the family, who did he come looking for? Adam. And remember, he comes, watch this. He comes looking for them. And remember what he says. Where are you? Where are you? Do you think an all-knowing, all-seeing all God has lost these two people? Do you think that's a location issue? Do you think the Lord's like, Michael, where did I put those two kids? <laughs> no, loved ones, every eye up here for just a moment. You know what I think the Lord's saying? I'm your shepherd. I'm your shepherd. Where are you? Where are you? Where, where, where are you? You're not like you used to be. You're not. Who are you? Why are you hiding from me? Instead, what they needed to do was to run, run to the good shepherd, run to the father, but they hid. Some of you are hiding, and I will tell you, it is exhausting. Look at the last part of verse 3. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads he leads. Everybody say leads. If he leads, that means we what? We follow. David says, that, I have no problem with that because he's my shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He guides me. He lays out the way. He gives me direction. Sheep require great care. They require to be kept on the move. And, and, and David knew that, that sheep are so uh, restless that he says, we got to keep moving them. And so what he says is the Lord is constantly taking you on the move. And he's moving you down a path of righteousness. When I was in, um, when I was in high school, college age, we, we, we used to sing a, a real simple song. I went to, attended Grace Community and we sang it all the time. It was like, holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness, holiness is what I need. And the second verse was, righteousness, righteousness, righteousness is what I long for. Righteousness is what I need. 
And I'll never forget, there was one day I just stopped, I stopped saying it. Because there was a point in my life where that wasn't true. I didn't long for righteousness. It wasn't longing for, and I'm sitting here, holiness, holiness is what I need. I'm such a hypocrite. And David says, you know what? You know what, masters? Understand this. If you're going to follow the shepherd, he's going to lead you in one path, and it's going to be towards righteousness. Let me give you a simple working definition of righteousness. Righteousness is the things that God declares that are right. Self-righteousness is the things that I declare that are right. And, and the good shepherd is going to lead you down one pathway. It's not going to be a pathway of destruction. It's going to be a pathway towards righteousness. And you say, well, wait a minute. You mean, you mean, you, hold on, hold on, pastor. You mean that, that a good shepherd is going to lead you down a path that's going to have, you're going to see in a moment, some dark valleys. The answer is Yes. Well, wait a minute, the path of righteousness may not be very comfortable, may not be very easy. Here's a quote you can take to the bank this afternoon. The creator's glory is greater than the creature's comfort. And David understood this, and he says, he leads me down paths not of comfort, but of righteousness. And he does it for his namesake. He does it for his glory. Remember John 11 when Mary and Martha, Jesus, Jesus, your, your good friend, he, he died. He died. Lazarus died because you weren't here. And remember what Jesus does? He whips around to the two ladies and he says, he didn't die because I wasn't here. He died because of the glory of God. And then he raised him from the dead. So he'll, he'll, take, he'll, take, you, he'll take you right into the tomb. And he'll do it for, not for your glory, for your good, but for his glory, for his name. See, I, watch this. I had a problem in Henry Mayo because I, I'm sitting there thinking, this, this doesn't work for me, Lord. This is not the pathway I wanted to be on. And I don't know about you, but I learned something three years ago. The Lord doesn't take directions very well. And, and so in this moment, I, I had to say, Lord, whatever you're doing is, not, is for your glory, for, for your good, because this isn't really good for me right now. Verse 4, even though I walk through, underline the word through in your neighbor's Bible. Even though I walk through, notice you don't die in this valley. Notice that you don't just rot in this valley. You walk through this valley. You don't run. You walk you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's just a shadow. You don't die there. In fact, the word death is not in the Hebrew text. We've added that. Because death is the worst thing a man can think of. Which in the Christian sense doesn't make any sense. Death is the best thing that can happen to us. Our, my, my heart stops beating here. Where am I? I'm present with the Lord. So he says, here's the deal. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are What's that word? Say it out loud. What's the word? With. With. I love ones. If I can encourage you and commend something to you this week, you need to develop a deep theology of withness. When you understand a theology of withness, man, life takes on a whole different, whole different perspective. Lo, I am with you always, Jesus says. Emmanuel, God with us. He wanted to be with Adam and Eve in the garden. That's, a whole, that's our whole theology there. We're going, to be with, we're going to be with God for all of eternity. And he walks with us in that valley. 
I went down to UCLA. They had to do a scope. Scope. Uh, it's called an endoscopy. They'd stick it down, cram it down your throat. Um, uh, not, not fun. And um, I'm lying there, UCLA, best doctors in the world. I mean, people come all over the world to go to UCLA to their, to, to their GI doctors. And uh, they're, getting ready to, they're getting ready to scope me. And I, this big guy comes barreling down the hallway, and I keep hearing him. He says, hey, hey, is, is LL Cool J here? And I like, LL Cool J? Come to find out, LL, LL Cool J's real name, Todd Smith. And all of a sudden, I was like, hey, I guess I am kind of cool. And it was funny, I, I was um, being strangled with worry at that moment, and it's almost like the Lord just put a little bit of humor, left his fingerprint, just put his fingerprint on me and says, Todd, you know what? I got you covered. I'm right here with you. I'm right here with you. Some of you are in the hardest days of your life, the deepest, darkest ravines of your life, and all I can tell you, I don't know when it's gonna end, I have no idea how it's gonna end, but I can absolutely guarantee you this, he is with you. He's, he's right there. The great truth of the gospel is that Jesus draws near to us, not far from us. And so David says, you know what? You're with me. You, you, you have this covered. Your father, you're a good shepherd. You know, the, David's like, you know what, guys? Hey, the Lord's not up there sipping Maalocs thinking, oh my goodness, what are we gonna do? No, he's right there with you. Right there with you. Notice he goes on. He goes on. He, 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 he builds his case. Not only, is, not only is the Lord with you. Not only has he, he led you beside still waters. Not only has he led you in paths of righteousness. Not only is he walking with you down these deep, dark valleys. But he, verse 4. Your rod and your staff, they, they what? What's that word? Lift up your voice. What's that word? Comfort. I want you to know something. For those of you that are in a deep, dark valley, understand this. There is no growth without pruning. There is no diamonds without pressure. There's no gold without fire. And I love what John Piper says. God is doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be only aware of one of them. And here's the deal. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I wish we had time to unpack all of this, but this is real, genuine, grade security that comes from the good shepherd. A shepherd needs to offer two things, protection and correction. The rod is a club with a, with a wood. It's a piece of wood with a metal tip on it. The shepherd would fight off wolves or coyotes, cougars, stray dogs, or demonic cats. Cats are, are, are demons. Just deal with it, all right? <laughs> oh, good, the cat hater section out over there. That's, that's beautiful. So what does the shepherd do with a, with a rod? He beats, he beats these, these enemies away. What does he do with a staff? Staff is that, that, that kind of a metal, or excuse me, wooden um, kind of a branch with kind of a, a hook on it. 
He does it for correction. He does it to lift the sheep. He does it to guide the sheep. He does it to steer the sheep. He does it to rescue the sheep. Let me tell you what he does with the, with the staff also. Watch this. Don't miss this because some of you are experiencing this. You know what a shepherd does with the staff? He disciplines the sheep. And we don't like to talk about this, but we have a good, good father. We have a good, good shepherd. And any good father, any good shepherd will discipline, discipline their sheep or their kids. By show of hands this morning, how many people like to spend the weekend with spoiled kids? Let me say this, neither does our father. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, that he's not only the good shepherd, but he's the good father. And any good father, guess what he does? He disciplines, he chastises those he loves. And you, you, you may be sitting here, whoa, whoa, dude. Hey, hey, on my life, you keep talking about dark valleys. Now you're talking about discipline. Let me just tell you, everything's golden in my life. I, I'm not, I don't have any of this going on. You know what I say to you? Hey, bro. Hey, bro, let me tell you, that's not such a great statement because according to the word of God, all of God's kids are getting some. They're getting some. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. He's a great shepherd. Look at the end of verse five. He, he cares so deeply to, for us. He says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know what, Christians? Christians should be, should, Christians should be, should be the most joyous people on planet earth. But so many times the Christians are, are walking around, they look like they've been sucking on lemons all day, they're angry about something, they hate red cups, they, they just, they're, 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 hey, hey McFly, let me say this, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The worst thing that can happen to you in this life is you die and you go to be in the presence of God. Put a smile on. Your, your cup, you, some of you are living a half-empty cup, and he, he says, my cup isn't half-empty or half-full. I'm not into that. My cup overflows. And here's the deal, loved ones. Let me just share this with you. I was running. I was running on my own fumes. I was running on my own strength. I was doing it my own way, and God has no intention for me to live the Christian life on my own strength. And he hit the pause button on me, and he says, I'm going to put you in the hospital for you to, to be stripped of yourself. Why? Because I want to fill up your cup with my grace so that you run from the, you run out of, you, you are energized out of, you are encouraged out of, you are motivated out of my abundant grace that just puddles all over your life. And that's what he does for the sheep. The oil was such a refreshment. It was a renewal. It was a relief. This is such a, a picture of tender care. Oil was used by, by the shepherd to, to rub away scabs on the sheep, to, to get away, uh, to, to move away these bot flies. Bot flies in the ancient Near East for, for sheep, they would land on their nose. This is gross. And they would, they, would, they would fly into the nostrils of sheep. They're called bot flies. They would, they would literally give birth to their larvae and it would embed itself up in the nasal cavity of the sheep. And the sheep would get a massive migraine. Their head would hurt. They had no ability to get rid of these flies. And so they would beat their, their head against some post or tree because the pain was so intense. And the shepherd would come by and grab their heads and grab the oil and just anoint their head with oil to massage that larvae out of their nasal cavity. It's a beautiful picture. <laughs> I 
We have such a good shepherd. Look at this. We'll finish with this. Verse 6. David says, I have a good shepherd. And it's almost like David says, you know what? This world can kick your teeth in. It really can. But notice this, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow, shall follow. Circle that word follow. It means pursued or chased. Shall follow me all. Everybody say all. You know what all means in Hebrew? All. <laughs> Shall follow me all the days. Shall follow me all the days of my life. And notice what he says, I shall, I shall. He doesn't say, I, it's not even might or it's not, I hope so, I hope, I hope. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I was so prideful. I was, I was going to do it my way, on my time and my strength. And I have a good shepherd who's standing there saying, Todd, here's the deal. Follow me. I'm a good shepherd. I got you covered. I'll give you goodness and mercy. He doesn't say I'll give you an easy life. He just says, I'm going to, uh, here's what's going to happen. Goodness and mercy are going to come. And here's the best news. You know, Jesus, you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like Hudson Taylor said when he was in the midst of a crisis, I love this. I love this. Have I told you I love this? I love this statement. Hudson Taylor, in the midst of a of, of, of financial crisis, in the midst of I don't know how we're going to get through this, in the midst of I don't know where the shepherd is, in the midst of I, we're in big trouble, Hudson Taylor says this. He says to his good friend as they count the money they don't have, he says this. He says, we have 27 cents and all the promises of God. <laughs> Hudson Taylor understood verse six. I got 27 cents and all the promises of God. David says, get on God's team. He's a good shepherd. You know that the Lord has, has a billion wins and a zero losses? And he says, you know what? He's, he's the good shepherd. And he says, here's the deal. He will follow, he will chase with goodness his hessed love, his sticky, stubborn love will chase you down. That's why the good shepherd, when he has 99 sheep, says, that's not enough. I want to go find the one. Why? Because goodness and mercy chases that one down. Have you ever stalked somebody? Don't, don't, don't raise your hand, because that's, that's awkward. Um, my, my wife was 12 when I met her. That's, that's even illegal in Arkansas. So you know what I did for the next six years? I stalked her. I, I had this sticky, stubborn love chasing after her, convinced her of God's will for her life and married her when she was 19. You know what, you know what, you know what David says? Every day of my life, I am being chased, watch this, by goodness and mercy. It's like he's being chased and being stalked, and it's almost like dogs. Have you ever been chased by a dog? It's, 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 it's these dogs. It's, it's this dog. <laughs> goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. <laughs> Chasing him down. 
Spurgeon called them, I love this phrase, he says, you know what he, he, you know what he called goodness and mercy? He called, them, he, he, he called them the hounds of heaven. The Christian life is the greatest life there is. The rest of the world is, is trying to chase after goodness and mercy, and the Christian has goodness and mercy chasing after him. It's an awesome, it's an awesome life. Easy life, no, awesome life. A.W. Tozer said, God will not use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Um, my theology has always reveled in the uh, fact that God picked me. I, I just love that. When I, when I realized that for the first time, that God reached down and picked me, unconditional election, I was like, that's amazing, because I never got picked for anything. See, I grew up on a day where we didn't have... We didn't have uh, Pop Warner football or things like that. Basically, all we had was you played football in the street. You played until the street lights went on, and then you came home. You played on the asphalt. That's where we played football. I was never good at football. So we go out every, you know, so every week. And we go out. I never get to be the team captain. There they, there they were, two team captains. We're all standing there. Pick me, pick me, pick me. They go through, and they pick Joey and Steve. Pick me, pick me, pick me. They pick all the girls. <laughs> pick me, pick me, pick me. And, and, and then, then it was like, okay, uh, let's flip for who gets Todd. And <laughs> I, uh, when the gospel truth hit me that before the foundation of the world God picked me, I was, I was dumbfounded. Laying in the bed after uh, that scan for pancreatic cancer, it was the first time I realized I don't like being picked by God for suffering. And I, um, <laughs> I didn't sleep the whole night. I kept thinking of my daughter's wedding kept thinking of my like, son's graduation, like, I'm, I'm not gonna, there's a chance that the doctor's gonna walk in tomorrow morning and tell me I have pancreatic cancer, and I, I'm out of here in six months. I know I'm going to heaven, I know all of that, but I, I was being strangled. By God's grace, it wasn't cancer, uh, it's a chronic condition I now have, and it's a lifelong journey I'm on. But I step back and I say this morning, no matter what comes, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love, we so love the fact that you picked us before the foundation of the world. It's a little bit more challenging at times when you sovereignly elect us for a time and season of suffering, though. But the Good Shepherd has told us that in this world we will have tribulation. And Father, I thank you for your, your goodness and mercy in, 
in my own personal life of giving me health and allowing me to, to be here longer and, and, and do life differently now. And God, I pray for every person in this room that you would do whatever you need to do to purge them of their pride. Father, as you did, you pulled the, the roots out of my life. And Father, I pray that you would humble us for there is nothing that you can't accomplish with a man or a woman that is fully devoted and surrendered to you. And Lord, I just want, I want to say on behalf of all of us in this room, we love you so much. We really do. There's goodness and mercy. These dogs are all over us. And we just, we love you a lot. We, we trust you. And, and lastly, Lord, I just, we just want to declare to you this morning, we need you so much. You're not a good shepherd. You're a great shepherd. And we look forward to dwelling in your house forever. We pray this in the precious, perfect, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.